Good morning again. My name is Pastor Milo. If you're listening to our podcast, those of you who are in, in the room here this morning, we do have a few people that listen each week. I'll make you aware of that if you uh, miss a week or anything like that, that our messages are available online. And so uh, if you're listening this morning, it's, a, it's not so sunny outside, but it's a good day to be in the Lord's house. We're going to jump in right away this morning. So if you open your Bibles, please, to Romans uh, chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Uh, if you're using your pew Bible in front of you, that's a New International Version. That's page 1191 in that Bible. Uh, if you're using a digital version, uh, find your way to the New International Version of Romans chapter 16. And we're going to start right away, beginning in verse 1. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sennacherib, something like that. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she might need from you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adachronus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, your co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Meet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa, these women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions among and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosapater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality and I and the whole church here enjoy, send you greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cordus, send you their greetings. And as some men read this verse, may the grace of our Lord Christ Jesus be with all of you. Amen. Uh, this is some list of names. Uh, if any of you want to come up and do the public reading of this list uh, anytime, you'll make as many uh, mistakes probably as I made or more. Uh, any of you uh, having uh, with child this year, uh, you have some good options here for you. There's some, there's some humdingers in there. There's a Julia and there's a few regular ones, but there's uh, uh, Aristobulus or Aristobulus or Aristobulus. I'm not sure how you actually say it. There's Narcissus and there's a number of other names that I don't think that you would use, Adachronius or Apelles or... I don't know. There's a bunch of them here. I can't find any that I would name my kids, really. Hermes? No, that's not going to work. Okay. 
How are you at remembering names? Particularly if someone came this morning and they shook your hand and said, hi, my name is Aristobulus. You might remember that one because it's odd. I learned that uh, pretty, pretty early on that my middle name is Milo, which is what I go by now because people would actually remember my name uh, when I'd introduce myself because it's a little bit of an odd name. Uh, it's one of those things that pastors, we don't do well or we try to do really well, but we know that we screw up all the time. And so uh, it, it isn't a great feeling for you or for me when we see each other in the back of the church after the service and I say, hey there. Guy, it's really good to see you again. And you don't like it, and I don't like it, and it's equally awkward. And so you do your very best when you're around a lot of different names and a lot of different people to learn their names. Uh, two weeks ago, I think I told you it was coming up, I actually had my 20-year high school reunion. And what happens when you have your, and that's some, some of you have, you know, doubled or even tripled that since high school, and that's okay. Uh, 20 for me was a pretty big deal, and it's the first time I'd seen a lot of these people. Uh, it was one of those things where we had about 275 in our class. I didn't really decide for sure that we were going to go because as far as we could tell, there was only about 25 people who came, who were going to come uh, to this reunion, and that was about it. There's 25 who came, it just wasn't really well attended for whatever reason. And so when you have a class of 275 and you decide you're going to go and see a couple hundred people, you can find the people that you want to interact with. But if you're coming to a reunion with 25 people, you really are going to be exposed if you don't have any idea who this person is or was. And so uh, the day of did a fair amount of studying up and making sure that I could at least generally, you know, have an idea of who this person may have been, whether I knew their maiden name or their married name or not wasn't important, just do I at least recognize uh, this person so you don't stick your foot in your mouth. Well, one of the people that I uh, knew and I remembered, and it wasn't one of the hard names to remember, was a friend of mine from high school, Steve Youngs. Now, that's a name that if you are any type of football fan, you should be able to remember that. No, my Steve Youngs was not an NFL player, but he was a football player, and so he was someone that I knew from school and someone I interacted with quite a bit. Uh, I knew him from our wrestling team. In our senior year, we were co-captains of the wrestling team. I bring up Steve because he gives me a good opportunity this morning to talk specifically about something that I want to describe and, and, and dig in a little bit on today is values. So Steve Youngs and I uh, got together. Uh, I, I had not interacted with him in 20 years. Uh, but he literally, this last month, has retired from the Marine Corps after 20 years of service. So he's retired from the Marine Corps after 20 years of service. If you've been here for a while, you know that I too went in the Marine Corps out of high school. And so you would think we have a lot of things in common. But the reality is, is Steve Youngs and I uh, did not have that much in common. So he retired from the Marines, but he retired uh, from Marine recon units, which was very different from what I did in the Marine Corps. If you've been here before, you know that I was in the United States Marine Corps elite fighting force known as the band. I was a saxophone player in the United States Marine Corps. That's not usually your first uh, interaction with other Marines as you come along with them. And so, interestingly enough, we were never there at the same time, but as I interacted with Steve, uh, he was in Norfolk, Virginia for a number of, of, of his uh, duty stations. He got stationed there multiple times. And I was able to say, oh, I was stationed there in Norfolk as well. 
The reality is, is Norfolk, Virginia is a naval base. It's not a Marine Corps base. And so there's a very small number of Marines that are on this base. And so if you bump into anybody out in town, you know that either you are the most elite fighting force in the Marines, part of the Marine recon units that are training to be the ones who would take out Osama bin Laden or something like that, or you are a saxophone player. Those are your only options out in town when you bump into somebody. And so uh, 20 years later, be able to interact with Steve, we bumped into each other again and he said, oh yeah, I remember you were in the band. And he just let me know one more time who I was and who he was. But of all the people that I was going to interact with that weekend, I would not have have thought that he was the first person I would interact with. But I'll tell you what, the minute that I walked through the doors, you look around the room, he was actually the first person that I talked to. Because although we were very different people, like I said, we were on the wrestling team in high school, we were both captains of the wrestling team. But at the end of wrestling practice, I would leave early because I had to get to our play practice, our musical, where I was the lead character in the musical and I had to have my songs figured out for the musical. This was not what Steve was doing after wrestling practice. But we interacted with each other and had a good time discussing and talking with one another because we both came from the United States Marine Corps. And there's something of a brotherhood that forms uh, because of that, because you have shared values. Specifically to the Marines, you have the shared values of honor, courage, and commitment. And they instill in you and they ensure in you that these are values that no matter what your background is, no matter what small town USA you come from, what different uh, uh, worlds that you come from, that these are some values that you're going to hold together and, and be able to have in common. So our journey was a lot different, but we hold the same values. You know, having shared values is something that unites people, unites us in the Marine Corps, yes, but shared values is something that unites people in the local church as well. It brings people together who maybe wouldn't normally connect with one another. I bring it up because churches do have values. Churches have shared values, but sometimes they're not the values that you would think that they are, and they're not the values that are written in a mission statement or printed in a bulletin or written on the walls. Sometimes the values are these, values like, we don't rock the boat. Values like, make sure you don't offend anyone. Or values like, make sure you don't confront sin because it's going to cause a problem in the church. Now, these are never written anywhere. They're never discussed anywhere. Pastor Mario and I went uh, this week, early Monday and Tuesday this week, we spent some time at a conference called the Replant Conference, talking about uh, ways to be able to assist and help and work with churches that are in need of a total restart, a total rebeginning, a replanting of the church. Sometimes those churches are down to two and three members, and, and really the only value they have left is the last person out the door, make sure you lock the door and turn off the lights. Now, that's not how they drew it up in the first place when that church began. That's not what they were excited about. That's not what unified them but they lost track of the big picture. And so what do we value? As we've been going through the book of Romans this year, I want to remind you, as, and in fact, we started in, in January, and, and some of you have been with us on the whole journey. We, we, we're going through a 35-week series on Romans. Well, that's a long time. That's a long journey. It's, it, it's, it's been a ways, and as we've gone through it, we've covered a lot of different things. But our journey is nearing a close 
Uh, We've been encouraged by the truth and the availability of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not ashamed of the gospel. We've been challenged with very direct language of what sin looks like and God's unwillingness to compromise and allow sin to be demonstrated. And with the people of Israel, he specifically cut them off and said, you will not live a life of sin. You will not follow other gods. You will not place any other gods before me, and I will not take care of you. And yet he made a pathway for a remnant of Israel. Yet he made a way, he demonstrated this with the people of Israel, that God, through the Messiah, was going to have another way, a way of grace, where God's grace has been evident for us page after page after page in this book of Romans. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And as we've journeyed through this, and as, we've, as we near the end of this magnificent book, you should understand it's my desire to make it real, to make it tangible, to make it something that isn't just a good series that we close the book on and move on forward. That's why as we've come to the end of the book of Romans, we've, we've entitled this series, this last series in the book of Romans is the title, This Is Us. And we've been in it for a few weeks now, but I feel like I haven't actually made certain that you understand why we're using this title of the series or why we're talking through these things here in the series. Why? Because this is us. This is what we must take away. This is what we must value as a church here at 6301 Main Street, Williamsville, New York. Would you take out your bulletins this morning? Not the sheet of paper. I know we use a bulletin insert, but your actual bulletins this morning, if you turn over on the back of the bulletin, you're going to see some things there that's been there for a few weeks, but I don't know if we've highlighted it well enough. As I said this morning during the welcome, we want you to find your place here in this church, upward in Christ, inward in the church, and outward in the community. But if you look there closely, you're going to see what have been the last sermon titles of this series. These are the things that we value as a church. We celebrate faithfulness. That was our Heritage Sunday. We talked about what it means to have a heritage and have a history. But we don't celebrate history, friends. We celebrate faithfulness. Faith is the assurance in God's Word and all that He's done. But faithfulness is living in accordance with that truth. We value, we celebrate faithfulness. We cultivate fruitfulness. While serving the Lord in line with our gifts and callings, we affirm the ministries of others. We understand that God is working in each and every follower of Christ, and we expect to see discipleship happening. We expect to see a church cultivating one another. We value and we cultivate fruitfulness. Thirdly, we prioritize relationships. While serving the Lord in line with our gifts and callings, we continue to see and we continue to affirm and continue to realize that we are better together. And it's only because of relationship. It's all about relationships, we said. It's all about trust. The rest is just the details. We prioritize relationship. Last week, Tim spoke and we talked about mobilizing. We mobilize leadership. What we see in Scripture is this demonstration of saying uh, this, this leadership that God has given us here in the local church is not meant to stay in the local church. We are to be ascending church, sending outward and be able to, to connect with others. And so we as a church are, are putting that as a priority and mobilizing leaders because we believe that whatever God is going to do, He's going to do through leaders who are rightly motivated by the gospel 
to empower others. And so we come this morning to this one. We draw circles. That's our sermon title for you this morning. So if you want to take out the insert, and you'll see uh, over uh, the next week, we will also talk about the last one as well as we tell stories. That's our sermon for next week. But this week we're talking about we draw circles. And because this series is about values, I want to remind you or have you just kind of realize as we've gone through the book of Romans, we've gone through it in an expositional way, meaning that the text is there and what the text tells us is what we talk about and what first we realize what was the Apostle Paul saying to the people who were reading it at the time, and then we extrapolate it from there. But this hasn't exactly been an expositional series. It has been topic textual. And what that means is that we look at the overarching themes of what the Apostle Paul has talked about in his book. And as he is closing his argument, we're kind of closing our idea, our argument here of what it is that we value. The values and the doctrinal truths that we see in the book of Romans. And that we see mirrored in all of Scripture. We draw circles today, not because we literally see the Apostle Paul here at a whiteboard with a, with a magic marker drawing circles around his neighborhood, but we see the principles laid out for us here. Principles that are il- illustrated in the Old Testament as well. Principles that are illustrated specifically with the people of Israel when they're standing at the edge of the land of Canaan and God tells Joshua to take over the city of Jericho. Joshua chapter 6, verse 16 says this. On the seventh day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you this city. The walls around the city of Jericho were six feet wide and 50 feet high, encircling the whole city of this ancient metropolis. The walls were mud bricks. They were so thick and so tall that the 12-acre city was something of an impossible battle plan for the people of Israel to fight against. The walls were so wide that they could travel on top of the walls with horses and carriages. The, The walls were so large that people literally lived in the walls of the city. And yet, God says, draw a circle, make a circle around that city and march around it seven times and see if you don't see tangibly what God is going to do here. And on the seventh day, the seventh time around the wall, at the trumpet blast, they shout, they scream, they holler, and the walls what? The walls come tumbling down. We draw circles. This is a value. Why? Because whatever God is going to do in the city and whomever he chooses to use and whenever he decides let the gospel break out in Holy Spirit revival, he is going to start somewhere. There is going to be a center of the circle. Where will that be? I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. It is Labor Day weekend, but I'm telling you, I'm chomping at the bit at this text to be able to share with you what God has in store for us. Gypsy Smith was a 19th century revivalist who did something unusual anytime he came to a new town. He'd stop at the outskirts and he would draw a circle in the dirt. Then he would stand inside that circle and say, oh God, please send a revival to this town and let it begin in this circle. 
Send a revival to this town. God, would you work through me? But start that revival in this circle. If you've got your notes with you this morning, let's use that as our first fill. And make a circle around your own feet first. Make a circle around your own feet first. We draw circles, but the first circle we draw is around our own feet. Go back just a couple of verses. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 30, what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Friends, if there's going to be revival in this church, if our church is going to grow, if we're going to have an impact in this city, I need to ask you first, would you be praying for me? Would you be praying that the Holy Spirit would get a hold of my heart, that the Holy Spirit would grab a hold of my life, and that His power would work in me and through me? And then in turn, would you pray that the Holy Spirit would act and interact with that circle that you draw around your own feet first? You see, it wouldn't do me much good to ask to convict the world around me of sin if there's still unconfessed sin in my own heart. The first step towards revival and a move of God is that he would show us our own sin, that we would repent of that. This is the heart of the Apostle Paul. When I was in the Marine Corps, I was stationed in Beaufort, South Carolina. I had started working with a youth group there. I was really starting to explore that I thought that maybe ministry was where God was calling me to to go after I got out of the Marine Corps. And we had a guest evangelist come. This was a small Baptist church and, and right there in Beaufort, and, and it was a church that every year would hold five- and six-day revival meetings in the summer. And so our revival speaker came. He was an evangelist from another city, from another town. He came in. He was an old man, an old crusty man. I remember he had this finger he'd wag at you, and you'd feel like he was the face of God just pointing at you, and he'd wag that finger at you. But he did something unique that I have not forgotten all these years later. I don't remember what he said the rest of the time that he was there, but he talked about this idea of praying that God would move in that circle around your own feet first. And what he did is he walked around, he wagged that finger, and he walked around, and there was only about 25, 30 people in the room, and he handed out uh, chalk to each of the people in the room, and he said, I want you to draw a circle in the chalk on this carpet, and I want you to do it right now. The deacons and the trustees had not been given approval of this man doing this in the church. And I'll tell you, for the next six months or a year, there were still the faded circles around the room where everyone had drawn with chalk and said, God, would you start a revival in me? And I'll tell you, as a young man really trying to figure out whether God was calling me into the ministry, drawing that circle and saying, God, if you want me, start in this circle first. Friends, if we're going to be a church and a people who values drawing circles, we're going to make a circle around your own feet first. Secondly, make a circle around your family and friends. Make a circle around your family and friends. Here in Romans chapter 16, the first five verses, we hear the Apostle Paul talking about our sister Phoebe, he says, a deacon of the church. As we, as we learn more about Phoebe, she's, she's a pretty special woman. She bore and preserved this letter. She was the one. She was a businesswoman, and she's the one who's actually going to be carrying this letter. She's going to be carrying it from Corinth to Rome. 
She's, she's called by the apostle a servant of the church. This was a port there in Corinth is where she was at, that her church was at. And as she was there, it was located nine miles east of the city. And this, this Christian church had grown up in her home. And Phoebe was a deacon there in the church. She represented to them in some labor. She had served in many ways, material, physical, spiritual. She was very faithful in it. So Paul commends her in this. And these Christians in Rome, he says, pray for my family, my friends, the people who are closest to me. Pray for them, because he's writing this letter from Corinth to them. She's been, very many, she's been helpful to very many others, he says, and to me. Would you pray for Phoebe? Now, the Apostle Paul specifically, as we go through this passage, you will see he names women very specifically in the role that they had in the early church, the role they had in leadership in the early church, the role that they had in this church spreading like wildfire in the region. The writers of his day, this is very uncommon for him to be highlighting women in this way and giving them such a prominent role in a letter like this. This is, this is Paul's most detailed work, this gospel that we call the book of Romans. And he makes dead certain that he is going to talk about the women that are leading in the church. We also see here, we also see Priscilla and Aquila. We meet them in chapter 18 of Acts, and we learn that they are Jews. We learn that they are tent makers by trade who are driven out of Rome by a decree of the Emperor Claudius. They went to Corinth. They took up their trade there, and they met this strange young Jew, also a tent maker, the Apostle Paul. Evidently, Saul, as he was former known, of Tarsus moved in with them, and he was soon led to Christ and was, was being uh, discipled. So their home is probably the first home to begin the church there in Corinth. Luke tells us that after two years there, Paul left to go to the great city of Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila went with him again, took up the trade of tent making, and again they opened a church out of their home there in Ephesus. Also, it is of note that Paul names Priscilla first that she was the evangelist of the couple. Aquila was, was there, he was involved, but she was the one who was sharing the gospel. She was the one who was leading and, and bringing others to Christ, making a circle around family and friends. We're going to jump in chronology here and jump down to verse 21, because this is also his list of his family <coughs> and his friends. Timothy says, my co-worker, and we read he's written two letters to Timothy specifically, send his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosopater, my fellow Jews. Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality and I and the whole church here enjoy, we send you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cordus, we send you their greetings as well. You can picture this group gathered in the home of Gaius, their gracious, genial, generous host of the city. Mentioned in this first letter to Corinth, Gaius opens his house to the entire Christian community there. And so here's Paul sitting there with his friends. Tertius is, is writing, he's the scribe who's writing down the letters and they're gathered around, they're listening to Paul be able to share what he believes are the doctrinal truths that, that the church needs to know. And all, of course, his, his son in the faith, Timothy, is there with him. We know so well from those letters that he's written to him specifically. He spoke of him in the highest regard. He's his beloved son in the faith. He had stayed with him so long. He remained with him faithful to the end. Paul is drawing a circle 
around his friends and his family. And he's naming them saying, would you pray for my friends and my family? Would you, Lord, first, would you start a fire in me? Would you start a revival in me? But then as I widen that circle, would you start a revival in my friends and my family? And young Timothy, would you send him out to do great and mighty things? Make a circle around your own feet first. Make a circle around your family and friends. Thirdly, make a circle around your familiar faces. The Apostle Paul goes on to name a number of people, names a number of people that he generally knows, going from verse 6 through verse 13, that he, he knows of but may not interact with on a regular basis. These are familiar faces. These are the faces that when the Apostle Paul bumps into him at Starbucks, he goes, hey there, you, Turkakakakus, I think. Verse 12, we, we read the names Tryphena and Tryphosa. These women work very hard in the Lord. I don't have it in front of me specifically here, but their names are translated something along the lines of dainty. And he turns that thing around and flips it upside down and says, your, your names are precious and dainty and you are hard laborers in the Lord. Verse 13, he names Rufus. And scriptural uh, background and history would tell us that most people believe this is Simon of Serene, the one who, who carried the cross for Christ, that this is his son, Rufus. And he says, his mother has been a mother to me and to all of us as well. These are familiar faces that the Apostle Paul knows. These are people that he, he knows fairly well, and he wants to be certain that you are praying for them as well, being certain that God is moving in their lives as well. Make a circle around your family and friends, your familiar faces. Make a circle around your far away places. In verse 14, it takes a different tone. You see that he doesn't have the personal connection. Now he's writing to the church in Rome, and so now he's talking generally about people in Rome that he's heard of. He's heard their story. He knows what's going on. He's not been there before, but he wants to highlight them. At times when we hear from missionaries overseas that we've supported for a number of years, you'll, you'll find that the list sometimes that comes back, they'll, they'll name a number of people. They want you to know how many people are involved and how many people are encouraged by our prayers and our support. And so you see these names, these other brothers and sisters there at the church at Rome. In verse 16, he says, greet each other with a holy kiss. He says, be affectionate to one another, have relationship with one another, encourage one another. And on behalf of all the churches, we send greetings. This conference that, that Mario and I went to this week, it, it was actually, it really, if nothing else, maybe we were just there to encourage brothers and sisters from around our country, maybe about 200 people there, that their churches are struggling, friends. They are on death's door. And if there was no other reason for Mario and I to be there, to just encourage them and say, there are, there are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are praying for you. We want to encourage you. You have been faithful for 10, 15, 20 years at the local church, and you have seen no growth whatsoever. Continue to be faithful, friend. Pray that God moves in your midst. For those who are in faraway places, for some of you when I say faraway places, that means something entirely different than it does to others. Some of you live, as I do, in the village of Williamsville. We call it the bubble or the dome. If you, leave, if you live in the village of Williamsville, if you ever leave the dome, that's a far away place. 
We here at the church, we're on the other side of the dome. We're just outside of the dome here, friends, and, and it's really difficult to leave. When I grew up about 60 miles south of here in Arcade or Delavan, New York, uh, if I asked my friends to come up to the city for something, that's what they call it. They call it going up to the city. And they talk about how bad the traffic is and how horrible it is and all these things. And I said, well, of course, you took transit the whole way. That's terrible. Who does that? Far away land, Williamsville, New York. And some of you are the opposite, because you used to come down and play soccer and football against us at Pioneer Central High School, and you used to talk about the fact that we were in the middle of a cornfield, because we were in the middle of a cornfield, and we were the faraway place. And yes, now they actually do have drive your tractor to work or school day there at Pioneer High School, and that's just part of who we are, that faraway place. The Apostle Paul says, pray for the people in those faraway places. Now, there's been a great deal of conjecture as the identity of the remaining individuals. We don't know exactly who all they are. Some of them, this is the only spot we ever hear of them in Scripture. We don't really assume that they're actually extraordinary people in any way, but they are just faithful followers of Christ. Typical, normal, everyday people that I hope you and I would be known to be. Typical, normal, regular people who are weird but you love Jesus. You love Jesus. Make a circle around your faraway places. So if we're drawing circles, if we're taking response, we say, I'm going to pray for you at your church. I'm going to pray for you in your ministry. I'm going to pray for you and your family. I'm going to pray for you because you're in the hospital. I'm going to pray for you because you're my daughter. You're my son. We pray. But what do we pray for? Paul says, pray for me. And he says, what does he want prayer for? Well, we find that in verse 17. These are the last few fill-ins for you this morning. Watch out for those who cause division. That's your prayer, friends, for that circle that starts around your own feet and it moves outwards. Pray and watch out for those who cause division. I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who cause division. Put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching of what you've learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but they're serving themselves. They're serving their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive themselves. They deceive the minds of naive people. Don't be deceived. Stay away from those who cause division. Here's your second feeling. Keep away from various forms of evil. Everyone's heard about your obedience. You're doing well. I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good. And be innocent about what is evil. Stay away. Keep away from evil. You don't need to learn more about that evil thing. Stay away. Lastly, step by step, we pray that fellow believers in Christ would walk in the grace of Jesus. They would walk in the grace of Jesus. Of Jesus. Verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, but the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you in the process. As you're taking steps, he says, Let God work in you so that you crush Satan each step that you take. Isn't that a powerful prayer? That every step that you take, you are crushing Satan under your feet. Some of you might notice verse 24 is missing. You don't have a verse 24. You're not sure what's going on there. 
Some manuscripts have it written in. It says, may the grace along the same lines of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Amen. The reason why it's missing, just as a side note for you there, it's not because it's not God's Word. It's just because it doesn't have, most people believe that it might have been written on the side by the person who was, who was copying this letter down. That it was not actually Paul who, who had who'd said that. And whoever wrote it down on the side, it was included at first, but then later scholars come along and they say, you know what, I don't think that was actually in the original letter. Because they'd already numbered it, they said, well, I guess we have to take that number out. But you'll see that it is not contrary to the truth of what's being taught here. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Amen. We draw circles. I have this statement in here by Mark Batterson. He's an author and a pastor. Circle makers know that it's always too soon to quit praying because you never know when the wall is about to fall. You are always one prayer away from a miracle. Some of you have been marching around the wall of Jericho, not for seven days, not for seven years, but more. And you pray and you pray. And you're praying for a circle. Maybe you're praying for a circle that's pretty small because it's the circle of your family. And you've been praying for that person. You've been praying that the gospel grab a hold of their heart and their lives. Friends, you're one prayer away from a miracle, perhaps. Don't stop praying. Don't stop drawing circles. Jesus Christ was a circle maker. He turned water into wine. He prayed, and the leper was made whole. He prayed, and the lame would walk. He prayed, and the blind would see. He prayed, and his friend Lazarus was was raised from death into life. Jesus really was, truly was, and is a circle maker. And ultimately, he drew a circle that was pretty large. He drew a circle that included you and me and every human that has ever walked on the face of the earth. We're circle makers. We draw circles because we say, God, start with me. Start with my family. Start with this church. Allow us to reach this community. Start with me. And Jesus said, I'll start with me. But I'll take the whole sin of the whole world upon myself. This morning we have a time of communion. If our communion attendees will come forward, the reason we do this, the reason why we worship in this way is because it's a reminder of what Jesus and his disciples did on that last night before he went to the cross, drew the real circle around your heart and around mine, and said, I'll take responsibility for that circle. He literally circled his disciples up and said, let, let, me, let me show you something here, friends. Let me show you what I'm about to do so that you can talk about it, so that a ripple effect can happen, so that in homes and in, in cities all around this area that the truth could ripple out. So this morning, we ask you to do the same thing. In a moment, we'll take the bread and we'll follow that with grape juice. Here as a, as a church, the Lord's Supper or communion is a time that we share with anyone who is a follower of Christ. You don't have to be a member of this church, but you have to be a member of the family of God. 
you have to know and trust and believe that that circle was drawn around you. But in a moment, we'll hand it out. We'll pass the bread first, and then follow that, we'll pass, we'll pass the grape juice out. But we ask you first, would you, as you're holding that bread in your hand, thinking about what Jesus did for you, would you pray this morning? Would you draw a circle around your own feet? Say, God, would you start a revival in my heart? Would you, would you, would you take care of my heart first? And no matter what else happens, start with me. Because that's what a time of communion really is. In common union, we bring ourselves before the Lord knowing that we need His grace. And His grace is sufficient for you, he says. So the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I received from the Lord, I delivered to you the Lord Jesus on the night He was betrayed. He took bread. And so we'll do that together this morning. As we take bread, as we drink the juice, would you draw a circle around your own feet this morning.
1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord I delivered to you. And the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you for drawing a circle around our hearts. Lord, we thank you for who you are and the way that you work in our lives. 
We thank you for this time of communion, Lord, as a way to just demonstrate what it is to be part of the body of Christ. We thank you for this illustration. We thank you for the way that we can feel and interact and connect with you in a very personal way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.